Man, it is good to be here with you guys this morning. Thank you so much for joining us, those joining us online as well. To first-time visitors here today, you're only a visitor once, and then your family. And so, welcome to this weird mess of, uh, of family. And it's good for everybody to be here. Truly, it is. Um, hopefully, you know that. Hopefully, coming here today, there was a sense of, yes, this is the place we need to be. Maybe for some, it was a little bit of a, you know, drag you in. Um, but this is the place you need to be. And, and certainly, yeah, Calvary Northeast is a great place for you to be, but to be in church today. And as Pastor Jimmy often prays, this becomes the church when we enter into it. So it's not about this building that we've come into today. It's about the church coming together. And it's on my heart this morning because Scripture tells us that things will wax worse and worse. And we see it on display in our culture. The sin that we see is nothing new. It's been there throughout history, but it seems to be more and more pervasive each and every day. Our culture is wicked, and I have the, the privilege, uh, albeit sometimes a little difficult, a little challenging, the privilege of addressing that very issue today and over these next couple of weeks. For those of you familiar with the book of Romans, as we continue our study of it here this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Romans chapter 1. We'll pick up in verse 16, but you know what follows here from verse 16 really all the way through the beginning of chapter 3 is a pretty significant discussion of sin. It's not exactly your feel-good passage but it's something that we need to address. It's something that we need to deal with. And so we are today going to deal with some controversial subjects. It's my hope that all of us here are in agreement on these things, but nevertheless, I may ruffle some feathers today. And I thought, well, since we're dealing with the controversial today, I'll just add to it and touch on another topic as well. Um, there's, there is something I want to address before we go into uh, the word here, because I, I think that it has bearing, I think that it connects, and also because it's a recent issue uh, within the church in this past week, not our church specifically, and so I think it's important for us to address these issues as they come up. Over the last year, there's been a lot of different things we've addressed. We've had to deal with decisions related to a pandemic, and how do we handle that? What's our responsibility as a church? And sometimes those things are clear in Scripture, and other times you're sort of walking this fine line of saying, Lord, give us wisdom for something that's a little ambiguous. Uh, we've had to address other issues throughout this past year, those of ethnic reconciliation. And I believe as a church, we've sought to address those things and to really consider what's our role and responsibility as a church in the midst of such pain and difficulties. And, and, and there's something that's come up this past week that is, is less ambiguous. It's quite clear in Scripture. And I think for those of you who are coming here saying, well, this is my church, it's important for you to understand where we stand on this issue. You see, this last week at Saddleback Church in California, they announced the appointment of three female pastors. Many in the evangelical community applauded that. Uh, I, being one pastor, did not. And I see it today as a sad state of where our church is at. And I want you to understand this. I want you to hear this from me this morning. I... Uh, Pastor Sandy Adams, the, the pastor of Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, serves as the Southeast Regional Pastor for the Calvary Chapel Association. Pastor Sandy, this past week, upon hearing this news, uh, in his leadership and wisdom, saw fit to communicate with the association his thoughts. And so, as I read through them, I found them to be quite fitting, as always. He has a way with words, and I want to share this with you this morning and read from what he sent us pastors. He said this, I believe this breaks the heart of the God who made us male and female. Both genders and the roles assigned to each are designed by God to teach spiritual truths. The Bible says that Christian men are to lead 
and Christian women should follow. This does not apply in the secular arenas of government, business, society at large, but in God's living room, in the church and in the home, this is how he wants Christians to order their relationship with the opposite sex. Now listen, these roles, male and female, created in the image of God, distinctly different. These roles paint a picture to the world of God's relationship with his people. Throughout the Bible, God speaks of himself in the masculine and his people in the feminine. Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride. God leads and Christians follow. And it's God's will that every church and marriage would serve as a reminder of that. As I've been sharing these last few weeks even in the book of Romans and have encouraged you and want you to continue to say it to yourself, it's not about me. You see, we are called to such a bigger purpose. Our lives, our marriages, our roles in the church have the great privilege of pointing people to him and his relationship with us. Pastor Sandy writes, this is why a woman's role in the church is such a watershed issue. It is not, please hear me, it is not that women are incapable of offering spiritual leadership and biblical instruction. To the contrary, women may be the more suited for service. And I would even add that Scripture seems to absolutely esteem women very highly. But giftedness is not the issue. There are times when God's purpose is spiritual and emblematic, more so than practical and utilitarian. When a woman yields leadership to a spirit-anointed man, she fulfills a higher, holier purpose than simply the task at hand. The Apostle Paul said her actions intrigue the angels. In the eyes of God, any of the pastoral duties she might perform pales in comparison to the beauty and significance of her submission. God wants us all to see and serve the big picture. And yet Saddleback is not the only church that has allowed the pressure of culture to obscure the purpose of God. Giving women the authority to teach men and pastor the flock is spreading. Even some Calvary chapels are compromising the biblical ideal. And I want to remind the Calvary chapels that might be influenced by the example of Saddleback and those like-minded that our pastor, Pastor Chuck, was clear about what the Bible taught. Amen. Now listen, I don't pretend to be perfect. I'm far from it. But I can tell you that here at Calvary Chapel Northeast that we will seek to stand on truth and to uphold the word of God. And we will not allow culture to bend what it is that God has called us to do. And and, and here's the other thing, that no doubt there are many men in this room that would say, well, amen to that, right? But here's what we must understand. Why is this happening in our culture today? Because of an absence of godly men fulfilling the role that God has created them for. And in the absence of that, what is a woman to do? And so, I think I would appeal to the women also who would say, if I have a man who steps into and lays hold of the role that God has called him to, a man that loves Jesus, a man that understands that in these relationships, both in the home, through marriage, as well as in the church, that it is to be a picture of Christ in the church, meaning that that godly man is willing to lay down his life just as Jesus did, then I would assume, women, that you would say, that's a man I can follow. And so we have a responsibility, not just to look at this and to say, yeah, that's right, but to say, Lord, help us. Help us to continue in our pursuit of you to be surrendered people 
willing to step into those roles that you've created us for so that we can be a demonstration, a picture to a lost and dying world of what you've designed. Amen? Now this absolutely plays into what we're going to consider here in this passage of Romans because what Paul begins to address here are the issues within the culture and the sin that is so embraced by our world today. Now just as a refresher, Romans is written from Corinth, from the city of Corinth, during Paul's third missionary journey. Paul's a faithful believer for upwards of 20 years or more at this point, and he's writing to Christians in Rome, both Jew and Gentile alike, but predominantly Gentile. The church in Rome has grown, and while Paul did not establish it originally, he has long desired to see them and encourage them and teach them. As Paul shares in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, uh, he says essentially that to visit them would be of mutual benefit. And that's the case with our faith and our walk with Christ. It's not meant to be done alone. And so once again, us being together is a good thing for us to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. This, our fellowship, combined with teaching and instruction, is discipleship. And this is what Paul longs to bring to all believers. Now Paul, not knowing whether he will in fact make it to see them, writes this letter, which is often considered one of the most important books in the Bible. As here in Romans, we have an incredibly profound, systematic presentation of doctrine that sadly is increasingly ignored, as I've already alluded to somewhat, and rejected not just by our culture today, but even within the so-called church. Churches exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And that's what we are seeing amongst even mainstream denominations, an abandonment of the very truths we will see condemned in the remainder of chapter 1 today and beyond. Now in the first half of chapter 1, which we considered two weeks ago now, we covered just the introduction. And in that, we read of Paul's clear sense of identity and calling, which truly is ours as well. That's the amazing thing. As Paul recognizes who he is and what he's called to, we as Christians can adopt the same view. That is that we are bondservants. We're called, separated for the work of the gospel. That's an incredible truth that we can lay hold of today as believers. And further, we see in Paul a passion for the gospel, a passion for God's church, a relentless passion and desire to take that truth of the gospel to wherever God leads. The the J.B. Phillips paraphrase translates verse 15 in the following way. It says, That is why I want, as far as my ability will carry me, to preach the gospel to you who live in Rome as well. As far as my ability will carry me. Lord, you have gifted me, you've equipped me, you've created me for purpose. For whatever that is, Lord, I'm surrendered to it, I'm willing. As far as you want me to go, Lord, I'll go. Now Paul comments further on this passion for the gospel, stating in verses 16 and 17, read this along with me, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. If you'll agree with me once more in prayer. Father, this is your word. As we hold it within our hands, Lord, we thank you for it. And we ask, Lord, today by your spirit, you would give us understanding. Help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, help us to see our world through the lens of the gospel and to have a right understanding of what we're to do with this truth, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now this, these two verses here, verses 16 and 17, these in many respects become Paul's primary point for the letter. You could say that this is his thesis. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I won't hide it. This is Paul's way of saying, I'm proud of this truth. And we must ask ourselves, Christian, you must ask yourself, are you proud of the gospel? Are you proud of of what it is that God has done in your life? Does the truth of the gospel define your life? Is it what your life points other people to? This is not some pie-in-the-sky, unattainable thing. We know of the disciples that in Scripture it says that when people encountered them, they knew that they had been with Jesus. How many of you have, have, have known somebody in your life and you just know, man, they have been walking with the Lord for so long, they spend time in the Word regularly, they're praying regularly, the, the work of sanctification in their life is so profound that you just find yourself going, man, I love to be around this person. They point me to Jesus. They hold me accountable. It's just a blessing and an encouragement. We should all seek to be those types of people. And we can. That's a work that the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. Now here's the thing, throughout history, people have declared the gospel foolish. This is nothing new. People have and do suggest that those who believe in it and put their trust in it ought to be embarrassed. Some of our youth going into school and you talk, say maybe you're in your science class, things like evolution, which by the way is a theory. It's never presented as such, right? But it's a theory, and for you to say you believe in creation often comes with mocking and comes with ridicule. Why? Creation makes far more sense than evolution. And if you disagree with that, I submit to you, you've not studied it very much. Evolution takes far more of a leap of faith to believe in than creation does. Paul writes of this, though, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1, verse 23, saying to the Jew, it's a stumbling block. And we'll get into that next week as we get into chapter 2. We see where Paul begins to address some of the Jewish mindset. And he says, also, and to the Gentile, it's foolish. Now, sadly, in our day, and this is something that we have to own, church, sadly, in our day, Christianity has become, in many cases, synonymous with foolish and worldly things. There are far too many things today that to, a, uh, to the outside world, to hear Christian, they begin to associate that with all sorts of other things that should never have had an association to begin with. And we own that, and we've got to seek to address that and correct that, because the gospel stands on its own. There's nothing like it. It's a truth that stands alone. Paul says it is the power of God to change lives. That's dunamis power. That's our word for dynamite. It's explosive power. It's real. It's supernatural. It's the very power of God at work saving people. That through faith in this truth, they're justified and redeemed. Michael Byrd writes in his commentary on Romans, I love this. He says the gospel is a speech act. In that, it not only announces the way of salvation, but it actualizes the salvation in those who hear it with faith. He says, and listen, he says, the gospel manifests God's death-defeating, curse-reversing, evil-vanquishing, devil-crushing, sin-cleansing, life-giving, love-forming, people-uniting, super-uber-mega-grace power that results in salvation. How awesome is that? And that's the gospel, Christian, that's changed your life. Friends, our salvation is not a result of our work, but that of God's, which works through the gospel. And we are not to be ashamed of it. 
but to see it as just that, his power to then believe in it ourselves for change and transformation and then to declare it to others. Why? Because they're lost. Because they're lost, because the world needs the truth of the gospel. But here's the thing about those who are lost. They know it. They know it. But while they know, as we will see, that in fact everything around them declares that there is a God. You cannot walk out of these doors and look around with any sense of observation and not come to the conclusion that there is something much greater than me. They know this truth. And this truth draws them to an understanding that there is more. And that, and that they truly want more. There is a desire for more. But here's the thing. This does not mean, though the world declares this, though creation declares this, it does not mean that they understand what God has done for them and their need for it. And this is where Paul then transitions into this next section to help us to understand here's why you need Jesus. Here's why you need the gospel. And so listen, if you're here today and you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, please, and I don't say this in a condescending way, I say this from a place of pleading with you, stop ignoring the fact that you know there's something more than just you in this world. That there's something far greater than you. That you know there are so many things in this universe that you can't explain and science doesn't account for it. Science doesn't account for it. We're constantly seeking after the answers to all these things and we consistently come to places where we go, I don't know, I guess it just happened. Listen, take just a moment, read just a summary on the significance of the human body and how it functions from the brain to the eye to the heart. Look at the universe. Consider the fact that if our earth tilts just one degree, we're done. But it's just a chance. It's just all, it's just... No, you know, and that's the thing. You know in your heart, you know. So in the following verses, really, again, all the way into chapter three, Paul will focus on the depravity of humanity. And so, yes, what that means is for the next couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about sin. There's some churches that don't like to talk about that these days, right? But, but here's the thing. Isn't the gospel indeed foolish if we have no understanding of our need for it? It is. That's why many in the world go, I don't know about that, because there's not really been a consideration of their need for a savior. And so you see what Paul does here is he transitions to make clear the utter depravity of mankind in order that our need for a Savior would become clear. It's not fun to talk about sin. That's the reason for so many churches today blatantly engaging in it because they've stopped talking about it. They've ignored truth. They've sought to make people comfortable and have gone the way of the world. Our sin is to be confronted not in order to bring condemnation upon the individual, but to cause them to run to Jesus. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You remember when Paul was speaking in Athens, he was addressing the Areopagus. It's recorded in Acts chapter 17 and verses 30 and 31. And Paul said, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. You see, because Jesus is alive means that we need to wake up to our need for a Savior. 
and to wake up to the unrighteousness and ungodliness that's being exposed. But people are continually seeking to suppress it. Literally, this word literally translated means that they are holding it down. The, the truth that creation is proclaiming that no one can truly deny unless they are actively seeking to suppress it, to ignore it, to push it down, to not pay attention to it, to say, no, I don't want to admit that it's there because if I do, then I know that I'm guilty. This is what is going on. It's the pattern in each of us. It was the pattern that you, Christian, likely went through before you came to Christ. Because if we admit that there is a God, then it means I'm accountable to a God. And if I'm accountable, then what? God's wrath. Now that's the moment that sometimes people, they walk away from it, right? They say, well, see, I don't like to talk about wrath. And you said you weren't going to talk about judgment and condemnation. This is just some archaic God. You said it wasn't about condemnation. And right away, here's wrath. And I just don't buy into all this stuff. Listen, the word wrath is the Greek word orge, and it speaks of a settled and controlled anger. And it's against unrighteousness and ungodliness. Don't for a moment picture some angry, far-off God who's just out of control striking people down left and right. It speaks of one who is under control, who is angry against ungodliness and unrighteousness. And before you get all high and mighty, don't forget that it was Jesus who took that wrath for you. And now as we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, as believers, Christian, you are not appointed to wrath. You're not appointed to wrath. So as Paul said, what you need to do then is believe in the truth of the gospel. And listen, you know that it's truth. You know it. Again, speaking to unbelievers, you know that it's truth. Why? Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse of heaven shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language their voice is not heard. Their sound has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. There is not a person in the world who has an excuse for denying the existence of God. For the whole of creation declares it to them. Just look at it. It's profound. How foolish is it for me to say by us sitting here in this building today to go, look, look guys, look at this building. There must not have been a builder. It just happened, right? You go, that's silly. By the, by the evidence of there being a building, we know that there was a builder. Yet we look at the expanse of the universe and can so easily just go, ah, it's just chance. No. By looking at creation, we must inherently know there was a creator. That makes sense. There's no excuse. Now, what creation declares is that there is a God. But it's the church proclaiming the gospel that tells the world about what God has done for them through Jesus, his son. But in this pattern of sin and rebellion, people suppress it. They suppress this truth that is ever before them and they do not just suppress it, but then they begin to pervert it. 
Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. All the knowledge in the world means nothing if such important truth does not make it from your mind into your heart. Knowledge of God alone is insufficient, but it must translate to awareness of sin and your subsequent need for a Savior. Listen, in our world, many of you know of doctors. In fact, even though you don't know one personally, you could probably tell me a little bit about doctors. You maybe could even tell me a little bit about various types of doctors, but from day to day, you are likely not paying any attention to them. You could even go and turn right out here on Two Notch Road and start to make your way all the way downtown and pass by uh, 30 doctor's offices that you know nothing about. Why? Because you have no need for them. But once you do, once you have an awareness of your need for a doctor, even a particular type of doctor, suddenly you're paying attention to it. Suddenly you might be aware, hey, that's where I go to my doctor. That's my doctor's office. That's where I go because I need them. And you might even be inclined to consider their reputation, their credentials. You, you, you are suddenly paying attention. Just like when you buy a white car, you thought that you were unique in buying that car. And then you see that car everywhere, right? Listen, we, we don't, it, it's, it's the same concept People look at the gospel as foolishness because they have no awareness of their need for a savior. And, and this has been perpetuated in our culture today, especially through the prosperity gospel and the health and wealth gospel and these different false gospels that are teaching something that's false and creating false conversions from people who say, because they're told there's a God-shaped hole inside my heart that only he can fill, and if I accept him into my life, according to this brochure, my life's just going to be hunky-dory, peachy keen, fantastic. All these blessings are going to come my way. And then 24 hours go by, and life's still a little hard, and they say, forget Jesus. He was supposed to fix all this, right? Well, they were drawn to Jesus under false pretenses. They didn't understand their need for him as a sinner, the necessary sacrifice of Jesus for their reconciliation and redemption. You see, once we come to Jesus with a right understanding of who we are and who he is and why we need him for the forgiveness of our sins, then all those things can begin to come into our lives, difficulties that we can face. And now we look at those things and we say, praise God, I've got Jesus. I've got a promise of an inheritance with him forever and eternity. And not only that, but I've got a God who cares, who's with me now through this trial who will see me through it, and not just see me through it, but he's going to use this trial in my life. He's going, to make, he's going to make me more like him. We have to have a right understanding of these things. But you see, the problem is, just like with doctors, we're great at convincing ourselves that we don't need them. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. J.B. Phillips says this. He says it's behind a facade of wisdom. I like that. So many of us have built up a wonderful facade of wisdom. and We're hiding behind it, trying to convince ourselves that we're something that we're not. And you know what the literal translation for the Greek word fool is? Moron. You want to be real this morning? We pretend to be wise, but we're all morons. Takes one to know one, though, right? And so if you're thinking, man, glad I came to church today. A whole talk of sin, and then he called me a moron. Listen, I'm telling the truth in love, okay? I'll just speak for myself. There is nothing good in me except that which is from Jesus Christ. 
Without him, I am an utter fool. And with him, I still do some pretty foolish things. But I praise him for his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his sanctifying work that's happening in my life, changing me from the man that I once was, knowing that I'm not yet the man that he's created me to be, but he's working in me to get me there. But we think so highly of ourselves and we exchange an incorruptible God, a perfect God and worship of him for the things of this world, the fallen things of this world. And you look into New Age religions, and it's true. Paul recognizes it here. It's the same thing today. All these things that we choose to worship, it's the creature over the Creator. Paul writes, verse 24, Therefore, we need to pay attention when it's there. It connects these thoughts. It's there for a reason. He's saying, so there's a cost to this. God is doing something about this. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I love it when Paul just goes into a time of praise there as he starts to think about God. But here he's saying that God gave them up. That's scary, guys. Paul's going to repeat this three times. And this is in response to man's foolishness and man's bend towards sin. God says, I'll give you what you want then. There is a balance between God's sovereignty and man's free will. We do have a choice. And sometimes we are so intent on certain things that God says, I'll let you go after this. I'll let you follow after the lusts of your heart. And what do we see happening around us? It's an all-out feast of self. It's a sin convention out there. It's idolatry. It's Genesis 3-5 all over again. It's been that way from the very beginning. It's our desire to be like God. It's our desire to be God. Listen, make no mistake about it. We are created for worship. We are created by God in His image, created for worship. And so you must ask yourself, what am I worshiping? Is it Him or is it self? And so, verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful. You see, this is one of the reasons why we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because you can't ignore passages like this. You have to deal with it. And friends, I want you to hear me clearly today. And please don't check out at this point. If you're watching online or you're watching the video later on, listen all the way through, please. But we start here. And hear me clearly on this. Homosexuality is a sin. It is a sin. And please do not come at me with your theological gymnastics to try and claim that it's not. The embrace of homosexuality in our culture today, even by so-called churches, and the assault that comes upon those who stand against it is sinful. And this embrace of this entire movement is being sold as loving and compassionate. But it is anything but that. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So often in life, people chase after things things that are rooted in feelings, things that are rooted in, well, this seems right, in the way is death because it's contrary to Scripture. I find it astonishing that this movement in particular, and, and it's really begun to make its way into other areas, somehow uh, suggests that feelings should be validated, that feelings are right. And, and please understand me clearly here. I am burdened for those 
who are struggling with same-sex attraction. The same as those who are struggling with all kinds of other sin. It is not to minimize that or to suggest that it's not real. It is a difficult thing. But since when, just because we have a feeling, are we to say, well, I'll indulge it. But our lives are spent crucifying the flesh and saying this is contrary to God's word. And so I'm going to embrace truth, as difficult as it may be. But here's the thing we need to understand, and this is why I say listen all the way through. We may be quick to say amens when I say that homosexuality is a sin, in part because so many are not saying that today. But please know also that the church has fundamentally failed to properly address this sin issue like so many others. What should more often be acts of compassion, telling the truth in love, sharing the gospel, and loving a homosexual into the light has instead been replaced with condemnation. And that is not okay. The church should be a place absolutely for all to come in and to feel loved and embraced and encouraged, but to understand clearly, you don't get to stay this way. Church, you've heard me say it before, and I will say it again. Legislation is not our weapon. This is our weapon. This is the sword. It's the word of God. The word of God is. For far too long, Christians in this country especially think that the solution to our greatest moral failures is the voting booth and another law. And it's not. If you think you did your part by voting for someone who wouldn't redefine marriage or who would outlaw abortion, you're sorely mistaken. And I hope you see that. Because it's been promise after promise after promise that has not been fulfilled. Spiritual revival can bring about the change we seek. And you cannot legislate that. It is a work of the Spirit through the Word of God by people not ashamed of the gospel who are willing to share the truth in love. Now look at the, the, the last part of verse 27, for, really for two reasons. One, in receiving it says, in receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. So the first thing we can see here is that those who are going headlong into this sin, they're bringing the penalty upon themselves. We don't need to look for some huge act of God's wrath to come upon them. They're already bringing it upon themselves. So we as the church, who are no longer under wrath, should look instead with, with, with sympathy and with compassion to say, like a firefighter for Christ, I want to pull them from the fire. But here's the other thing. Perhaps you've been continuing in sin, giving in to the cravings of your heart, and you think maybe, just maybe, you've been getting away with it, or that God in His kindness has just been merciful, not yet experiencing the consequences of your sin, maybe giving you time to get it right. But listen, perhaps God has given you up, and your continued sin is simply the means of the judgment that's being brought upon yourself by you through the physical effects Look, we see that in the world around us, whether it's in the homosexual community or it's in those who are being uh, promiscuous, the physical effects that have come upon them, uh, the, the, those who are continuing in sin, the emotional effects, the spiritual effects, the anxiety, the depression, the loneliness. We don't think that God is at work, that his wrath is in fact being poured out. But what for? To draw individuals unto himself. And lest you think somehow that Paul's emphasizing homosexual sin and my commentary on it absolves any one of us, please understand that we are all sinners. 
Listen to these next few verses. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Holy smokes. Is there not a category there that any one of us can say that we are not familiar with? And so it's not just the sin of homosexuality, but all sin. Listen, guys, as I look at that list of sins, I think, my goodness, Lord, how could you love me? And that's what I would really want for us to get to a place to through our study of, of really all of Scripture, but especially these passages we'll consider in Romans 1 and 2, is to have a greater appreciation and love for Jesus. To know that we don't deserve His love and His grace and His compassion, His mercy, but He's given it to us. And so, Christian, please do not go around pointing the finger at everyone else, but rather let's grieve the pervasiveness of sin and like the author of Hebrews writes in 12, 1 through 3, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And like Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 15, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ Jesus. Because you know what? That's what this world needs. As I said at the beginning, we're here and this is a good place for us to be because we need to be strengthened in the faith because the world needs the church. All you need to do is look at, give a reading of Revelation and Ezekiel. Consider eschatology, the, the study of the end times, and you know when the church is gone, hell breaks loose. Guys, God has us here for a purpose. Creation testifies to the existence of God, and we testify to what God has done through Jesus because when we don't, and worse yet, when we simply condemn, we cause those who are lost to run to the world and to their sin cheerleaders that welcome them in. It's so sad that so many people feel rejected by the church and run to the things of the world. Look at verse 32. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And this is what's happening in our world. And I would ask you, have you ever known somebody who delighted in sin and then loved it when others joined them? Some of you probably have this person in your life who's just cheering you right into sin. Come on. Why are they doing it? Why are they encouraging you to sin? Because they don't want to be alone. Because it allows them to justify their own sin if others are in it with them. Because the enemy is using them in your life to draw you away from God and to the things of the world. This is what's happening in our world. People suppressing the truth of what is plainly declared of God through creation. They're working to hold that truth down and ignore it and begin to pervert the truth, chase after the lust of their hearts, and along the way celebrate with others who are doing the same thing, all the while running further from God. But Christian, the worst thing we can do when we see this is to pass judgment as if we should expect anything different of a lost world. For we ourselves were once there and still likely struggle with some of these same things. And we know that it was the truth of the gospel that delivered us. It was a move of the Spirit and of someone who wasn't ashamed of the gospel who God used in your life to deliver you. So what of our responsibility? 
I'm going to invite the worship team up to close us out in a short song. And I would say to you this, as depressing and overwhelming and as dark as this passage may be, praise God that his grace pierces through the darkness. That we have passages like Ephesians in chapter 2 and in verse 4, it says, but God, can I just get an amen to that? But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Christian, that's what you've received. And so we need to be reminded of that truth today, but also that there's a lost world, that creation is testifying to God's existence, that God wants to use you to speak this truth into their lives, that they might come to know Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, for this day that you've given us. We're grateful for your word and how it challenges us, Lord, and convicts us. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here today, for those that know you, Lord, that we not be ashamed of the truth of the gospel that's changed our lives. And Lord, forgive us for I know that often, Lord, though we may say that we're not ashamed, Lord, our actions say otherwise. Lord, we repent of that this morning. Give us a boldness for the things of you And Lord, use us. You should be so kind towards us, Lord, to reach others with this truth. But maybe there's some here today or watching online who've yet to surrender their life to you. And if that's you, then I would say today, just during this last song, confess and repent. Believe on Him. Be one who says, yes, I know that throughout my life, and especially as of late, I've become increasingly aware of the fact that there's something much greater than me. And so today... I just surrender it all. I know that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I know, Lord Jesus, that you died for me. And I want you to come into my life and change me and transform me. I believe in the truth of the gospel. Or change my life. Or use me as one who can go forth and in boldness, without shame, tell others of what it is that you've done. Or do that work here in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.